Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. We take a bite of the Big Apple. I'm Howard David. We welcome in Steve Popper of New York Newsday, who's been covering the New York Knicks. I think it's fair to say, Steve, that you look at the way the Knicks started and the way they finished. Uh, the you, I guess you'd have to say it was a successful year, even though they got knocked out by the Heat. I, absolutely. I, I always tell people that Vegas knows more than any of us do. And they had, them for, I think, 38 wins this year. So to win 47 games, you know, get the fifth seed, win a round, go to the second round, you know, it was a disappointing finish because you feel like Miami, you know, missing a Tyler Harrow wasn't, you know, a team that you couldn't beat. Uh, but I think just to get that far, you know, I, I think it's an achievement for this team. And look, basically sets a good ground, you know, ground floor basis for moving forward that I, I think, you know, anybody who's out there, a player who's looking for a place to be, might look at, at Jalen Brunson and say, you know, that's a guy I'd like to play with. Steve, I think it's fair to say that Jalen Brunson is without question the best free agent signing in Knicks history. True? I think it's hard to argue that. It's it's kind of funny that, you know, last summer people were criticizing that, that it was a massive overpay, um, you know, that, that Dallas, you know, could have had him for 55 for four years midseason didn't execute it, uh, could have then probably had him, you know, for, for a reasonable price after the season uh, and let it go to free agency. And uh, I, I do know this, that once the Knicks got involved, uh, there wasn't even a meeting uh, with, with the Mavericks. Um, so it, it got to that point where people were like, you know, you're bidding against yourself. He wants to come to New York. He wants to be with, you know, what is basically family and that his father uh, is there as an assistant. But beyond that, you know, Leon Rose, his first client ever was Rick Brunson. Um, you know, he, he jokes that he held held Jalen before Rick did um, as a baby. Um, you know, and Thibodeau knew him, you know, having Rick on, on, on the team in New York and then on his staff in Chicago. And, uh, you know, it, it's a very family uh, relationship dynamic there. So I, I think that, you know, they knew what they were facing. And, and I think people thought, you know, you're, you're overpaying for someone who wants to be there. But I think that contract right now probably looks about the best bargain. You know, how many, how many superstars in the league are, you know, four years, 25 a piece, about 26 million a piece. And it's, it's, you know, he's got three years of that. And I, I think that's a great building block for the Knicks right now. Yeah. And even before that, I'm talking with Steve Popper of New York Newsday covers the New York Knicks. The target was Donovan Mitchell. Uh, that didn't pan out for whatever the reason, but coincidentally, the Knicks knocked off Donovan Mitchell and Cleveland in the first round of the playoffs. I think some people were surprised. Uh, I was not. Uh, I, I thought that the Knicks looked like the team that was ready to post a win. Now, having said that, and you mentioned Tom Thibodeau, people are questioning whether or not Thibodeau comes back. Well, the last thing you want to be right now is an NBA coach because they're getting fired every day Today, we learned that Doc Rivers got fired in Philadelphia. I was not surprised. Were you? No, I look, the last four coach of the years, three of them are gone now out of job, out of work. And uh, Thibodeau is the only one standing. And he might have been the most likely to go, you know, in December. Um, I, I think to me, I, I'm a believer in, you know, coaches don't get dumber. Uh, everybody kind of knows the same X's and O's. It's if you can get your guys to believe, to execute, to play hard. Uh, and Thibodeau gets that, you know, you, you can, you can fault. There's certain things, you know, 
even though their their offensive numbers were very good this year, you know, there's there's sort of one dimensional and not a very creative system. But uh, to me, the guy gets guys to play every day, gets guys to play hard, to be ready. And 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 when we talk about that first round series with Cleveland, I I think as much of a mismatch of, of anything was Thibodeau, the way he had his team prepared versus J.B. Bickerstaff. And, and not not to criticize J.B., but he's sort of a neophyte in that. And you can see the youth and inexperience of that team and that staff that I, I think that's kind of where the series was, was made. You look at um, the Miami series, and one of the criticisms of the Knicks, they didn't play with the same ferocity that the Heat did. They didn't play with the same urgency. Did you see it that way? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because that's what the Knicks and Thibodeau build their team on it, being, you know, the most prepared the, and the hardest working and the hardest playing team every night. And and they, you know, to me, they uh, they outdid them in that very uh, category. You know, to me, it was, uh, you know, Miami, Miami was sort of a mirror image of them, but did it better. Uh they had, you know, they had eight undrafted guys, I think, on that roster. And you could see the hunger and, and the intensity. To play. But, but I think also the same way I talk about the Knicks versus Cleveland, when you look at uh, the Heat versus the Knicks, there is an experience factor. These guys, you know, as, as maybe, you know, unheralded as they are, they've been through the wars with this team, uh, some of them in smaller roles. But they've been through this and they know what it takes, you know, the value of every position, possession in a playoff series. Um, and, and I think I just think that they outdid the Knicks there. And, and, you know, there were there were obviously extenuating factors on both sides. Injuries, you know, Jimmy Butler was banged up. Julius Randle, Randall, I think, uh, you know, ankle was worse than he was letting on. Uh, you know, uh, Jalen Brunson had a bad ankle. I, I think we're going to find wind up finding out, you know, guys are going to have procedures or uh, a long rehab period here after the season. Uh, so, you know, it, it's hard to say, but I, I just think. The heat, uh, the, there was a hunger to them and an experience in the situation uh, handling it better than the Knicks did. Hey, Steve, let's let's talk about Julius Randle a little bit. He uh, He's come under criticism for a variety of reasons. Um, we know he can put the ball in the hole. Uh, and he's, he's he's been smart enough to understand that Jalen Brunson runs this team. And I think he's accepted that role. But going forward, do you sense that the Knicks are going to try to move him? You know, it's it's a very tough one to say. <laughs> you know, we talk about the Knicks fans and, and Knicks as a franchise hunting stars. And you've got a guy who was second team All-NBA uh, three seasons ago, uh, third team this year, uh, you know, twice in three years, he's an All-NBA player. And people can't wait to get him out the door. It, it's, a, it's a little bit surprising, confounding. Uh, but... You know, there are things that, that just drive people crazy with his body language, uh, some of the effort defensively. Um, he's a talented guy. Look, to get that next level, to get a, a star that you want, you're going to have to include, a, you know, an all-NBA caliber player to get him back. So, you know, if you're thinking you package Randall with, I don't know, Emmanuel quickly, some of the draft picks you have, maybe you can get that next level star that you think you need to put with Brunson. And maybe a guy who gives you what you want on both ends every night. You know, that, that's sort of the model that, that I think they, they need to find. And Brunson, you know, for all of his skills, is not a great defensive player. Randall is not a great, great defensive player. So getting somebody who plays both sides of the ball well, I think, is, is, a, is an important step for them. And then that's where I think the problem would have been with Donovan Mitchell. You know, by pairing Quentin Grimes in the backcourt with, with Brunson, you had a great defensive player there to pair a Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt. It would have been, a, it would have been a challenge for the rest of the team to, to make up for that. Steve, let me ask you about uh, who's safe, who's not, uh, who you could, if I were to say who's safe, obviously Jalen Brunson, I would include Josh Hart in that mix. Uh, I probably would include Emmanuel quickly who backs up Jalen Brunson very well. Uh, beyond that, uh, I don't know if there's anybody else on this roster uh, that you would say is guaranteed to be a Nick next year outside of the ones I mentioned. I think they love Quentin Grimes. You mentioned Josh Hart. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, he's going to probably, you know, opt, opt out of that final year of his contract. Uh, 
Um, and, and, uh, you know, I think, I think the intention is the Knicks want him and he wants to stay. So I think he will be there. The other one you mentioned, I'm not so sure about Emmanuel quickly, you know, he's second runner up to in six man of the year. Um, had a great season, not a great postseason before he got hurt. And I think the dilemma is this, you've got to decide, you know, he's not going to be a starter for you. Do you want to pay him starter money because he's extension eligible this summer? Uh, so he, you know, now you're starting to get into where he can make a lot of money. Um, and I think he wants to be a starter somewhere. So I think, I think it might at his uh, peak value right now, it might benefit both teams to put him in a, in a package. Um, I, I don't think it's beyond the realm that either one of those guys who are extension eligible are gone this year, him or Obi Toppin. Uh, and for different reasons, one is the, the high value of quickly. One is the, the low value of Toppin. Taking a bite of the big apple with Steve Popper of New York Newsday. Uh, uh, Josh Hart, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, the Knicks was 17 and eight from the time he came to the Knicks to the end of the regular season. Uh, his uh, familiarity with Brunson certainly doesn't hurt. They were teammates together at Villanova. Uh, he does play both sides of the court, no doubt about it. Uh, I wish he would look Randall complains to the referees too much for my taste, but Josh Hart's in that same mix. He, he does the same thing. Doesn't he? Yeah. I, I don't think he does it all the time, but in the postseason, I think uh, he got some calls against him. were very frustrating uh, in game uh, five, three fouls, you know, in the first quarter uh, comes back in the game within seconds, gets his fourth foul and basically sat out the rest of the way. Um, I don't think it's it's what he's always been, but but boy, in the postseason, he was he disagreed with a lot of calls, and and I I, I kind of am on his side on a lot of them, but uh, it is what it is. I think you have to live with it when you're when you're a guy uh, like him. Uh, you're not gonna get superstar calls, and and I, I think he wound up on the short end of some of those this time. I look, I I think it's not just the Brunson thing with him. I think Thibodeau really loves him. Uh, I, I think he will be a part of this team uh, going forward. I think I think he's just the kind of guy they want. Uh, you know, I think he got a little hesitant with his three-point shot, which uh, they try and preach not to be hesitant. Uh, you know, when you have the shot, take it. And, and I think he passed up some shots they'd rather he took um, in the postseason. But but I think all in all, I, they love the way he plays. They love the offensive rebounding. Uh, they love, you know, the defense, the tenacity. So I, I think he's a part of this going forward. What we what I, I, I remember is in game six, Julius Randle couldn't buy a basket. Neither could R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett, uh, look, the guy's got a lot of talent. Uh, he's got great explosion to the basket. He's got distance. But where do you see him and his role going forward? Uh, you know, I think a lot of people would like to see him in another city. Uh, I had a story in today's paper that I, I kind of feel like uh, he's a guy who can be an important part of the team. He's 22 years old. And I think when we talk about guys who, who struggled in the postseason versus guys who, who performed, I think after two tough games, he really turned it on and became an important part of this, everything they were doing and played well defensively, which he hadn't for much of the season. You know, this is a guy who, who early in his career was talking about becoming an all defensive team uh, player. And I thought, I thought this year he really took a step back on that. end. I, I don't quite know what it was, uh, if it was, you know, slowed a little physically what it was, but he, uh, he was not the same guy this year. Grimes became the, you know, the, the stopper defensively that took kind of took the role that he had before. And, and to be honest, Hart probably passed him in that role too. Uh, but I thought, I thought in the playoffs uh, he did a good job on both ends of the court. Uh, became a you know a guy who was scoring almost 23 a game uh, from game three through game game three of the opening round through game five of the second round uh, and then he had a one for ten performance in the last last game um, I, I will say this he's not a guy you worry about confidence wise uh, he he's had these ups and downs and these lulls in his in his shooting and he always seems to come back uh, with a lot of confidence uh, but to me he's 22 years old. I just don't think you give up on a guy like that who's yeah. also, you know, a very solid citizen, works, you know, no drama on or off the court. Um, to me, I, I think he's going to keep getting better. 
I think he showed some hints in the postseason that he was starting to get uh, sort of what they've been begging him to do, you know, keep keep hammering his way to the basket like he does, but find those open shooters outside when the double comes. Uh, he started doing that in the postseason better than he had during the season. So I, I think there's still steps to be taken for him, but I'd, I'd have a hard time giving up a 22-year-old like that. Talking with uh, Steve Popper of New York Newsday as we've taken a bite of the Big Apple. We've not talked about the center position of Mitchell Robinson, one of the better shot blockers in the league. He plays good defense. Uh, but Eric Spolster, who, for my money, is as good a coach as there is in this league. Uh, he went the old return, the old hack-a-shack to hack Mitchell Robinson because his free throw shooting obviously is not great. But, you know, every time he hacked him, I mean, Robinson came knocked down a couple of foul shots. Where are they with Robinson and Hartenstein? Uh, are they okay there or are they looking elsewhere? I, I think they're going to look. Uh, I, I think Mitch was on the table last summer when they signed him to that extension. I think there was a possibility of moving on from him. Uh, and I, I think it still is. He's got a very reasonable contract. He's, you know, there's a lot of teams who would love to have a defensive force like him. But to me, he doesn't give you enough on the offensive end. Offensive right. glass, great. He, he's great on the offensive glass. But you need a guy like you see in that Miami series. You can't have a guy who's a zero on offense. You can't have a guy who, one, can't make free throws. Two, can't shoot outside of, you know, where he can reach the rim. And, and three, is not a creative player. Like Hartenstein didn't have a great year shooting the three. But he really creates offense by moving to open spots, by finding guys, cutters. He's, he's just a very smart offensive player. Um, I, I think people don't think about this him this way, but, you know, coming from, from uh, you know, a, a youth in Germany, uh, his father is, was a player and a coach in Germany. Um, I, I think he has sort of that, uh, and he also played with the Jokic early in his career. I, I think he has that sort of European mentality, big man mentality of being a good passer. I, I almost could see where he fits in better with the start, starting five. Um, once he got healthy and started playing better defensively, uh, he's a guy who, who can fill some of the things that they need, you know, with a Barrett and a Brunson and a Randall pounding their way to the, to the basket. You know, he, he gives you something where, you know, you have an outlet that is, is useful, which I think I counted four passes in game five and six that Randall slipped uh, beautiful passes interior you know in tight tight spaces to Robinson and not one of them resulted in a basket because he just can't he can't catch a ball at his waist in traffic and do something with it mm. uh, I, I don't think that's the case with Hartenstein uh, let me ask you about based on your uh, what you know about the around the league uh, the Knicks you got to believe we're going to go shopping the free agency route what are the names you're hearing well there's some interesting ones and I think a lot of these will wind up being sort of sign and trade sort of deals. Um, I don't think it'll be an outright signing, but there are a couple of guys that are interesting. You know, they need shooting. Um, you know, it could be like a Lonnie Walker from the Lakers. I don't think it's going to be an overpriced guy. They have a $12.2 million slot, but I also think, as I said, it could be a sign and trade sort of deal. The one name that I, that I hear once in a while, and I don't think is out of the realm because it's a new front office is Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, he has a player option this year that, that it sounds like he's going to opt out of. Uh, if he wants out of Washington, I can see some sort of arrangement. You know, I, I don't know what the deal would be, but maybe it's a Mitchell Robinson and some other piece um, in a deal, like a sign and trade kind of deal. And he comes back to play center, uh, you know, and, and give them exactly what I'm talking about, a, a two-way guy instead of a one-way, a guy who's a great three-point shooting outlet for, for these other players. Um, so I, I think that's what they're going to, wherever they find it, I think shooting is going to be the priority here, but a guy who can give them something on the defensive end too. Yeah. I'm a, before I let you go, uh, Miami and Boston, after what I saw Jason Tatum do, not only the other night when he scored 50 points, uh, but the game before when he outscored, uh, uh, Philadelphia by himself in the fourth quarter after being nowhere in, you know, the game earlier, I, I just think Tatum, and, and Jalen Brown, as a duo, are going to be a little bit too much for Miami. How do you feel? I, I, well, Talent-wise, it's not even just those two. I think, you know, top to bottom, they're just so much better talent-wise than Miami. But I will say this. If you take your foot off the gas, Miami never does take their foot off the gas. Right. And they, they will play hard. They will make it hard. They will make it uncomfortable. 
guys are going to get banged around and, and I'm not sure Tatum and Brown are guys who like getting banged around. Um, you know, I, I just think Miami, uh, Boston, I'm sorry, has way too much talent when you, when you add in, you know, I, I, you know, a Brogdon, a Horford smart. Um, there's just so much depth on that team. You know, they can go, you know, eight, nine guys deep with just talent at every position. And Miami is going to be going to counter with guys who were in the G league two years ago. Um, to, to me, the talent gap is just too big. Yep. If my, if Boston comes to play and, and I got to think they will this time. Appreciate your insight, Steve. Thanks a million. Go get your haircut. <laughs> you got it. Getting all the errands done now. <laughs> all right, Steve. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks. Bye. He is Steve Popper of New York Newsday. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I just say, hey, you know, the guy's covering the team every day. Practices, press conferences, shoot-arounds, games. You know, you could understand that. Uh, I think that the Celtics are going to have too much for Miami. I'm telling you, we're going to see a throwback championship final. Lakers-Celtics. Remind you of the years gone by? <laughs> oh man i uh we're gonna be talking with uh an old friend of mine by the name of dennis krause who um covers the uh milwaukee bucks and uh had covered the milwaukee bucks now he's covering the green bay packers and i'm kind of interested in um his feeling about uh What's life like in Green Bay? Here you, Dennis, you with me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm on my way to Green Bay, actually. Yeah, well, somebody's got to go there. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no, actually, uh, there's a casino up there that I really enjoyed going to. <laughs> oh, that really surprises me. And I guarantee you that you will not end this conversation by saying, cut your hair. Because I don't have any left, neither do you. No, right. Well, you know, after a while, you get tired of watching it disappear. You finally screw it. Just cut it all off. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know, look, I remember, and I think it was 2005, when Aaron Rodgers was up for the draft. And we all remember him sitting, waiting to get picked. And I think he finally got picked, what, 24th? Yes. Yeah. And he was sitting. Look. Only Alex Smith is the only other quarterback that got drafted in the first round, as I remember. He went number one to San Francisco, but people were stunned. How come Aaron Rodgers didn't get selected? And then you think about his career and you go, wow. <laughs> so a number of teams dropped the ball on that. But, I mean, you've been around the, the, the Packers. Uh, and you know everything that's going on there. Uh, I'm stunned to hear the that the, basically the fan base in, in Wisconsin – uh, is okay with Aaron Rodgers leaving. How, do you tell me more about what's going on day to day? Well, first of all, Howard, uh, the offensive mm -hmm. coordinator for the 49ers when they took Alex Smith was Mike McCarthy. <laughs> so uh, life, life changes quick. Um, here's the thing about Rodgers. Was a Packers player longer than anyone in their history? 18 years, 15 of those as the starting quarterback. But I think two things. I think that his under 500 record in the playoffs and his personal, what I can only term it as fans thought he became high maintenance and a lot of it turned, I think with the whole, he didn't get vaccinated and he, you know, he said in the news conference that he'd been immunized. And so it was kind of a word play. And I think that that deception, if you want to call it that, was deep for a lot of fans, and they never quite forgave him for that. It was stunning. When I, when I heard these stories, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But, hey, everything comes to an end. Brett Favre left, and Brett Favre went to the Jets, too, uh, except that Aaron Rodgers is going to the Jets uh, in much better condition, much better shape, uh, and, and not Brett Favre. Uh, was nowhere near where Aaron Rodgers is now. But having said that, I mean, here's a guy that's won, what, four MVPs, a Super Bowl, um, sat behind Brett Favre for about three years. That brings me to Jordan Love. What do we know about Jordan Love? We know he was drafted 
And I guess when he was drafted, it didn't sit too well with Aaron Rodgers, right? Yeah, that certainly uh, created a rift in his relationship with the Packers front office, specifically uh, general manager Brian Gutekunst, who traded up to get Jordan Love in that first round. Um, Jordan Love met the media in Green Bay last week for the first time since he's essentially been anointed the starter and said that he he was very respectful of Aaron Rodgers, said he learned a lot from him, said they had talked since the trade to the Jets. Uh, but Jordan Love is a very confident young man. He's a different quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. And as you know, Howard, people around here are very spoiled. I mean, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers since 1992. And that's not typical of quarterback play in the NFL. So, you know, Love said, does he feel pressure? Yeah, he feels some pressure, but not so much replacing Rodgers as just being a starting quarterback in the NFL. Every starting quarterback should feel pressure, he said. He came off to me as very confident, very cool. Uh, I hope he can handle the blitzes as well as he handled the uh, media session last week. But I, I'm, I'm anxious to see how he does. And, and you raised appropriately the similarities and differences, Favre and Rodgers, to the Jets. Let me put it to you this way from the Green Bay angle. Favre was leaving Green Bay coming off an NFC championship game appearance and was beloved in Green Bay. Rodgers goes to the Jets coming off an 8-9 and season and with some fans ready to move on. So I think Jordan Love is actually – I remember going to Packers practice, Howard, in 2008, and Aaron Rodgers was booed by Packers fans. That's how ugly it was, the the Favre departure. There's very little of that, if any, this time with Jordan Love. I think Packers fans are ready to move on. He's Dennis Krause, uh, Spectrum News, and also does the uh, pregame show for the Green Bay Packers Radio Network. Uh, I Look, I was doing a game on national radio with Dan Reeves when Brett Favre went to Minnesota, and he knew he knew Brett very well. So we're down in the field before the game, and Brett came over to say hello to Dan, and Dan introduced me to Brett, and we got to talking. And uh, I said, you know, I said, my grandson Jackson's a huge fan of yours when you were with the Jets. I said, it, it, would it be possible to, uh, to, if I put you on the phone with him, would you say hello to him? He goes, sure. So I called my grandson, who at the time was like 12. I said, I got somebody who wants to say hello to you, Jackson. He goes, who's that? I said, Brett Favre. He goes, what? <laughs> and Brett couldn't have been nicer to him. It was really a pleasure to watch a well-known athlete talk to a kid he'd never met. And from then on, you were the cool grandpa. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I did all, I said all the right things, you know, I was cool and whatever, <laughs> but that, that's, that's a memory that I've got a Brett Favre that, um, that struck a tone with what kind of a quality individual. Uh, I, uh, I look at the Packers now and look, Jordan Love is going into a situation where they don't have the pieces that Brett, that uh, Aaron Rodgers had. So would you consider this a rebuilding year? Well, it's certainly a fair question, and the Packers themselves recoil at that word, rebuild, because they don't believe you do that. You know, as you know from covering the Packers, I mean, they they put on their scoreboard years they won championships. They they don't care about playoff berths or wild card berths. This is about winning championships, and they've won 13, okay? So are they going to win a championship this year? No, I don't think so, but they don't think they're going to hit bottom either. And they also think when you look around the NFC North division, that they're still a competitor for the division. And who's to say they aren't because, you know, nine and eight might win that division. I don't know. Well, it seems to me, and I'm only the outsider looking in, it seems to me the Detroit Lions have made some good moves in the draft and so on. Uh, I would have to say that the Lions are the team to beat in the division. Yes. I would agree with you. I'm not sure everyone around here would, but I think, look, the Lions beat the Packers twice last year, including at Lambeau when the Packers had a chance to win and get in the playoffs. So, I mean, you've got to give the Lions some respect. I think that some people are skeptical that the Lions won't screw it up somehow. And, you know, they had the the little gambling skirmish, which I don't think is raising to the level of jeopardizing their season, but it's – an indication 
that the culture there is still not perfect. Um, but I, I think they've got the pieces to win the division. And we also shouldn't forget that Minnesota won the division by four games last year. Hmm. And yeah, they, they've made some changes, uh, especially on defense, but they still have Jefferson and people can mock cousins, but he's, he's done pretty well against the Packers. So I, I wouldn't, and the, and the bears certainly think they're on the way up. And I think the Packers will find out right away. Their opener, Howard is at soldier field on September 10th. So, uh, Matt LaFleur has never lost to the Bears, 8-0. And the Bears feel that they're on the way up. They've got Justin Fields. They've added some pieces now. And their offensive coordinator is Luke Getze, who used to be a Packers assistant coach. They added Robert Tunyon, who was a Packers tight end. Right. They've got Mike, Te- uh, Mike Pettin on that staff, who was Packers defensive coordinator. So there's a lot, you know, the Packers bears rivalry. So you can add to that spice this year. And and the thing about love, I'll just say this real quick. If he doesn't win that game, there will be criticism right away because Rogers was 26 and five through the years against the bears. I talk with Dennis Krause, uh, who covers uh, the green Bay Packers, uh, Lucas Van Ness, drafted from Iowa, an edge rusher. Um, Luke uh, Musgrave, a tight end, drafted out of Oregon State. What can what kind of insight do you have on these two guys? Uh, both were need picks. Uh, Van Ness is a guy, and they the Packers have drafted a lot of players from Iowa through the years. Um, you know, Mike Daniels, Micah Hyde, just to name a couple. They don't know for sure, Howard, when Rashawn Gary will be back. He's coming off an ACL injury. I know Gary says he's targeting the opener, but, you know, that could be overly optimistic. If he has to start off the season on the pup list and miss six games, they desperately need a pass rusher. And so that uh, motivated them to pick Van Ness where they did. As for the tight end, you know, they picked two tight ends in the first three rounds. So that was an indication that, as I mentioned to you earlier, Tunyon had left uh, for the Bears. Mercedes Lewis is the free agent who's not expected back. So they desperately needed someone in that tight end room. And uh, Musgrave, if he can stay healthy, I think he has a great opportunity to make an immediate impact. The uh, Packers uh, not only lost Rodgers, uh, but they lost a wide receiver. That was a big part of their offense. Uh I mean, in New York, people were talking about Aaron Rodgers had a wish list that he wanted the Jets to go after certain players that would be, make him comfortable. Well, you got the offensive coordinator, and that's a pretty good start. Uh, but you also got the, the Jets wide receiver room, which was pretty good, has gotten better. Well, they added a couple of guys that Rodgers knows and is comfortable with and likes, Adam Lazard and Randall Cobb. And Cobb was actually brought to Green Bay a second time at Rogers' request. That was when there was the big rift with the front office. And Rogers said, you know, one of the things that would make me feel better is if you brought Randall Cobb back. And Brian Gutekust admitted openly to media, he said, this is not a move I would have made if not for Aaron Rodgers. So uh, that's the relationship they have. Uh, I, I don't know if he had a wish list or not, but it certainly looks like he wants at least some guys to be around him that he's comfortable with. And you know what I say to that? So what? That's what everybody does. In every yes. every walk of life, you try to surround yourself with people you're comfortable with. So I don't think it's a big crime that he would he would want these people to be with him with the Jets. It's kind of a, a little bit of a comfort zone. And I don't know this, Howard, but I know that Rodgers has talked to Favre about his experience with the Jets and maybe Favre said to him, you know what would really help is if you had a few guys with you from Green Bay that you like, and maybe Aaron acted on that. Well, we're talking with Dennis Krause, uh, who does a pregame show for the uh, Green Bay Packers and has been there for – how long have you been now in Milwaukee? 1987. Man, you're an old guy. Yes, I am. <laughs> you're a baby compared to me, man. uh look the one thing i enjoyed when i worked in milwaukee was the passion that fans have for their teams obviously it's a green bay packer state and there's no question about it but since Giannis antetokounmpo has come to milwaukee 
uh, all of a sudden, there's this excitement for the Milwaukee Bucks, who got shocked in the postseason after being the number one seed. Uh, how disappointed were Bucks fans after the ouster of the Milwaukee Bucks from the playoffs? I think they were very disappointed, and I think the owners were very disappointed, and they were so disappointed that they fired Mike Budenholzer as head coach. So right now, the Bucks don't have a head coach. And every head coach that hits the market, including Doc Rivers this morning, who has ties because he went to Marquette, um, whether it's Doc Rivers, whether it's Monty Williams, uh, all these guys, they're being Nick Nurse, they're being mentioned as candidates to be the Bucks' next head coach. It's considered a very attractive job because yeah. you do have Giannis, who might be the best player in the league. Well, you got Middleton, who's, uh, I think he's a free agent, but I think it's player's option, I think. Yeah, he's got a player option for about $40 million. Brooke Lopez is an unrestricted free agent. So those are the two guys that their their futures are uncertain right now. Um, I'm, I I heard the same names that you just mentioned uh, about successors to Budenholzer. Um, Monty Williams, to me, is a guy. Uh, I was stunned that, uh, that Phoenix let him go. I mean, he goes from being coach of the year to being fired, and I'm thinking, well, all of a sudden, he became stupid. Uh, that, that didn't make any sense to me. But, you know, having said that, you could say the same thing about Budenholzer. I mean, all of a sudden, he's lost his wit. I, I, just, uh, I, I just don't understand. Doc Rivers did not surprise me, because if you look at his record, he's had problems finishing off seasons. He's got a losing record in the playoffs, uh, and, and that eventually reared its ugly head. Yeah, I love Doc, uh, but he has lost 10 game sevens, which is more than anybody else by a wide margin. Uh, Budenholzer was heavily criticized for his coaching during the Heat series. There was a feeling he was outcoached by Eric Spolstra, fairly or not. Uh, timeouts that he didn't take, adjustments he didn't make when Jimmy Butler was just hammering them. Um, the, the bottom line is he's gone. Now, Monty Williams is a good man. Uh, and has a great track record. But the Suns have also been eliminated in ghastly home losses. I mean, they got mm. pounded the last two years. So if you bring him in, which they might, that question is going to be asked. I mean, this is the league about championships. This is uh, an ownership about championships. And Monty Williams, ironically, was the guy the Bucks beat in the championship round in, in 2021. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes to Milwaukee. I think, Howard, you know this about the NBA. Who does Giannis want? That will probably go yeah. a long way toward determining who the next head coach of the Bucs is. No question about it. Absolutely no question about it. If your superstar doesn't want him, he ain't coming. <laughs> that, that's pretty clear. Look, I, I, it's interesting that the three finalists for player of the year uh, or the MVP of the NBA were all players not born in the United States. You got Giannis, you got Embiid, and you got uh, uh, Jokic. Jokic, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's not a surprising. But the NBA has been an international game for a long time. Uh, back to the Packers, because the Packers is, I mean, that that's what everybody wants to talk about in Wisconsin. Uh, I certainly recognize that when I lived there. Uh, it's not a surprise. I think that the, the Packer fans live and die with the Packers. Uh, you know, a win in Wisconsin is, uh, you know, let's go out and have a couple of brews. Then again, when they lose, let's go out and have a couple of brews. It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> well, if they lose, you might have three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you're around it every day. You see what's going on with this organization. Uh, they have been uh, an organization to uh, look at and, and say, wow, they really know what they're doing. Uh, when Bob, Bob Harlan, I mean, how long has it been since he was there? It's been quite a while. I, I want to say over 10 years now that he's, you know, he still lives in Green Bay, but he's not the president anymore. Mark Murphy is the president. And, you know, when you were talking earlier, Howard, about transition, one guy we didn't mention who is all but gone is Mason Crosby, who's the all-time leading scorer in franchise history, the kicker. Right. Now, he's an unrestricted free agent who's about to turn 39 years old. Packers drafted a kicker, Anders Carlson, in the sixth round. Uh, out of Auburn, and as you know, teams don't draft kickers to cut them, okay? So he was given Mason Crosby's locker. Uh, Crosby has officially not said anything. The Packers have not said anything, but the Cowboys are looking for a veteran kicker. Mike McCarthy is there. 
Mike McCarthy and Mason Crosby go way back. In fact, McCarthy gave Crosby a second chance after a miserable 2012 season, and I don't think Mason ever forgot that. Mason's from Texas. So you connect the dots. There's a lot of reasons he might land with the Cowboys. Um, I think the Packers haven't said anything because I think their dream scenario is to kind of keep Mason Crosby on speed dial in case Carlson flops, but Crosby might be able to find something somewhere else. Talking with Dennis Krause, uh, covering the Green Bay Packers in Milwaukee. I, I, uh, you know, obviously I was born and raised in the New York metropolitan area uh, and have become familiar with the way things have gone over the course of time. And no, I mean, the New York Knicks, for as long as I can remember, their fan base has always been, uh, well, one player away from winning a championship. <laughs> you know, it's been like that for 40 years. <laughs> I don't know if they are, if they're not, I don't think so. But I, you, you mentioned uh, uh, Eric Spolster before from Miami. My opinion, I think is the best coach in the NBA. Uh, you won't get an argument from me on that. Um, twice now, he has upset a heavily favored Bucks team in the playoffs. And I think there was a feeling when Spolster got the job originally, well, yeah, he had LeBron, he had Wade, he had Bosch. I mean, how hard was it? I think we've seen in the years since he hasn't had those guys, he's a very good coach. I'll take it even a step further. I mean, here's Boston playing Miami in the Eastern final. I would, I, nothing shocks me in sports. I've seen it all, and, and nothing sh shocks me at all. But I would be surprised if Boston lost to Miami uh, in the Eastern finals because I think they're a more complete team. I think they're a better. I think they're a, 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 as good, if not better, defensively. And I think they will have the answer for Jimmy Butler uh, in the West. I've said it since before this playoffs started. Don't be surprised if the Lakers come out of the West and look where they are. Yeah. Well, and as you know, Denver has never won uh, a Western Conference final and made it to the NBA finals. I think you're right about Boston, Miami. Boston came in late in the regular season, and it was not a night where the Bucs were resting everybody, okay? So that's not a cop-out. They won in Milwaukee by over 40 points, okay? Mm. So that, to me, said, okay, Boston – is the team to beat in the East. I don't care what seed they are. And it turns out the Bucs never got a chance to, to see them in the playoffs, as you know. But, yeah, I'll, I would take Boston in that series, and I would take the Lakers just because LeBron knows how to win on the big stage. And I think – I'm not saying the Nuggets are just happy to be there, but I think they're going to experience what that is like to have that pressure of facing LeBron and the Lakers. And I, I just – I'll take the Lakers. Yeah, well, one of my best friends uh, is Cedric Maxwell, who played for the Celtics and now still does their radio broadcast. He was my partner when I was doing the Bucks, uh, the Celtics games as well. And I talked to him on the phone you know, last night, uh, and he, uh, he he said he would love to see Boston play the Lakers in the NBA Finals because it reminds him of the days when he was the uh, Celtic with Bird, McHale, and Parrish, and the Lakers had Magic and that whole crowd. Absolutely. I mean, that chapter of the NBA in the 1980s was significant. And longtime fans can remember the Lakers and the Celtics in the 1960s. I mean, that yep. was an incredible uh, matchup. And, and Bill Russell, his last game was a, a game seven win in L.A. Uh, over the Lakers, where they had the famous story about the balloons. Jack Kent Cook had the balloons in the rafters and they never got to release them because <laughs> the Celtics won the game. And Bill Russell, to me, that's still one of the Incredible stats, Howard. 10-0 and 0 in Game 7s. People say, well, you know, they keep having this debate about uh, who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan or, or LeBron James. And I go, that's a stupid argument. Michael Jordan <laughs> was, the, was the best of his time, and LeBron is the best of his time. But you base it on championships. There was only one Bill Russell. He won 11. And he would have won 12 if he didn't have an ankle injury uh, in, a, in a series they didn't win. I mean, he's the greatest winner of all time. Yeah, and that year you're talking about is uh, the 1958 championship that went to the St. Louis Hawks, and you're right, Russell was hurt. So for him to win 11 titles in 13 years, <laughs> and the last couple as, as player coach, amazing. Uh, I sat down, he sat down with us, with Max and me, one night doing a, a home game in Boston, and I never laughed more. Uh, and, and Russell, he's got this infectious laugh. And 
I started talking about him and his career. He goes, you got better things to talk about than my career. Let's talk about something else. I said, <laughs> okay, whatever you say, Bill. <laughs> but it, it, he was a character, no question about it. But th th there's an interesting city. I mean, you know, to work in, in Milwaukee with the history of the Green Bay Packers was special. Uh, to work in Boston with the history of the Celtics was special. And to be born and raised in New York, where they've had a lot of winners there, too. Uh, so it, it's been fun all the way around. But I look at the way the NBA is right now. Uh, I think it's very interesting uh, the way the NFL, we're talking about that. And now we're talking in the NBA about this Wambayama, uh, this kid from France, seven foot five basketball player. He's going to go number one in the draft coming up tonight. Uh, I, don't, I haven't seen this kid play, but the way everybody's talking about him, he's the next coming. Yeah, either he's a uh, 19-year-old uh, out of France, and some are saying he's the best NBA prospect since LeBron James because, mm. you know, what I've seen is he's 7'3". You said 7'5". I don't know. Maybe he is. I don't know. But uh, he can shoot the three. He can handle the ball. So we've never seen anybody that can do all these things. So whoever wins the lottery tonight, it's – all but certain will take this kid and probably, if not the first year, eventually turn the fate of their franchise around. Now, one did be something if he ends up going to San Antonio because they're one of the teams that have the, I think, 14% chance, and they already got David Robinson and Tim Duncan in the old days. What if they wind up with this kid? It would be something. I mean, I haven't seen him play. I mean, I've seen some film. But, uh, you know, nothing to, but you get a guy who's his size and listen to him talk. My God, this kid, you feel like this guy just came out of Harvard. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's quite impressive from everything I've heard. Dennis, when you uh, when you do what you do and you've got the history of the Green Bay Packers and even the history of the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, I mean, it reminds me uh, of uh, the Dauber, Bob Lanier. Uh, who I work with on NBA radio, I don't think I've ever been around a guy that made me laugh 24 hours a day. I mean, the guy was hysterical, but pe people don't understand what a really great player he was. Fantastic player. And the Bucks got him kind of in the twilight of his career, and he was still pretty good uh, in the 80s. But his best years in the NBA were with the Pistons. And he's another one of those legends that we've lost, you know, in the past few years and is, is certainly missed. But I think what really helps me, Howard, is having grown up in this area. I mean, I, I grew up as a fan of the Packers and the Bucks and the Brewers. So I, that their history is kind of just something I know secondhand. And as you know, that makes a big difference in this business when you don't necessarily have to study it. You just know it. Is the Rodgers departing Green Bay a bigger shock to the fan base than when Kareem left? No, because, uh, Kareem kept his desires to be traded private. He had told Wayne Embry, the then general manager of the Bucks, I want out. Uh, New York or L.A. is my preference. But that was not out in the media. And it, the NBA, is, it was covered differently in those days. So not everybody knew he wanted out. Rodgers, you know, for the last three years, there have been some level of, well, you know, he might want out eventually. And so I don't think the shock and then the way the trade was consummated, I mean, it, it was basically out there for two months before it became reality. So I don't think there was any shock when Rodgers was traded. Uh, I, I bring up Kareem because uh, when he was with the Lakers, uh, I was doing the Nets games. This was before I came to Milwaukee. And I walked into the Laker locker room and asked the PR guy, I said, uh, if I went over to Kareem for an interview, would he, would he turn me down or what? He goes, go over and talk to him. He says he likes having conversation. I walked over, introduced myself to him. I said, Kareem, I said, I'm Howard David. I'm with the Nets. I broadcast the games on radio. I said, what if, what if I have a few minutes? He goes, sure. He says, but first, where are you from? I said, Brooklyn. He goes, I'm from Brooklyn. I said, I know that. That's why I didn't hesitate telling you where I'm from. He said, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> we had this conversation, and it wasn't about basketball, Dennis. You ready for this? There is, I'm the biggest Brooklyn Dodger memorabilia guy ever. I could tell you who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1953 because I was nuts about the franchise. Kareem sure. is just as knowledgeable. We sat trading uh, 
questions with each other, throwing them at each other. Who is the most knowledgeable Brooklyn Dodger fan of all time? Dennis, he didn't miss a question. I didn't miss a question. We finally <laughs> decided we had enough. He shook my hand. He said, this is one of the best interviews I've ever done. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. <laughs> I said, well, wow, this is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar we're talking about. I wish that he had been uh, more accessible and kind of just friendlier during his stay as a player with the Bucs. He wasn't really that um, accessible, that what you're talking about between 69 and 75. But in those six years, he won a championship. He got them to another finals. They lost in seven games in 74 to the Celtics. He won three MVPs out of those six years. So even though Giannis is now the Bucs' all-time leading scorer, there's a strong case that Kareem is still the greatest Buck of all time. Mm. Um, and as he came back in later years, I think he has embraced Milwaukee, and Milwaukee has embraced him more. Uh, I remember interviewing him once. Bucks brought him in for, I don't know which anniversary, maybe the 40th anniversary of the franchise. And I asked him what he did to celebrate that championship in 1971 that they won in Baltimore. And he told me a story I've never heard. He said he went out on the town in Baltimore with Bubba Smith, the huh. Baltimore Colt. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that kind of story he would not have shared as a player. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know if you, you probably don't know this, but I was watching uh, ESPN this morning and um, they were talking about, uh, you know, who are the favorites as of now to emerge as the NFL champion. And everybody pointed to Kansas city, which I'm not going to argue about, but in the AFC, they oddly enough, the teams that would challenge him in order were Baltimore, Cincinnati, and then the New York Jets. Uh, and it's it's all about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's the only reason why they got to rank that high. Yeah, and the only thing I would say, and I'm 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 not going to um, you know, step on Aaron Rodgers and you know somehow diminish who he is or what he can do. All I can say is the facts. And the facts are he got to one Super Bowl with the Packers and won it. So can he get the Jets to the playoffs and, and maybe win a playoff game? Absolutely, especially because he's motivated because he plays best with a chip on his shoulder, whether it's real or manufactured. That chip right now is that, in his mind, the Packers were ready to turn the page to Jordan Love, and he thinks he can still play. So that's the chip on his shoulder. Yeah, there's no doubt as about you, it. As you know with the Jets, you know, he can maybe be a hero if he just gets them in the playoffs. But in my mind, Howard, and this is just me talking, if it's Super Bowl or bust to judge him as a Jet, I don't know that's going to happen. No, I, I, won't, I won't challenge that at all. Uh, I, think, I think he's going to make a difference. The Jets last year, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they were 8-9 and nine last year without a quarterback. Uh, with Aaron Rodgers and the material he's got around him. And, and the wide receivers and tight ends he's got around him and running backs he's got around him. Uh, the only thing I don't know about until we see it is the offensive line. But their defense, I'd put them top five in the NFL. So with that combination, they'll be tough. But here's the one caveat. That schedule is brutal in the first half of the year. They play yeah. Philadelphia. They play Kansas City. They play Buffalo, the opening game of the season on a Monday night. And the Dolphins are going to be tough to beat in their own division. The second half, not as tough. But that first half of the year, if they come away with, I'm going to say, uh, five wins out of the first half of the year, they got a chance. Yeah, I think a lot of people around here are curious to see because Rodgers didn't have his best year here last year, let's, let's be honest. But, right. um, and you mentioned the four MVPs, when he's in peak form, he makes the position of quarterback. He, he can play it like a work of art. I, I'm serious. He, he is so accurate, so in control, that when he's at his best, he is so fun to watch. Uh, but it concerns me a little bit when you talk about the Jets' offensive line because if there's one thing he doesn't like, or any quarterback doesn't like, is defenders in his face. And if that becomes a problem, Jets fans are going to be disappointed.
We'll see. Uh, you're a are you a golfer? I'm not. Okay. Uh, I am, uh, although I haven't played as much recently. But I would say when I watch golf tournaments and you hear some clown in the gallery screaming out, go in the hole. You notice the ball never goes in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, what are you yelling for? Who cares? <laughs> uh, you know, what are you going to do? Hey, Dennis, great talking to you, man. It's um, you're one of my favorite guys I've worked with all the time. I appreciate your insight. It is always a pleasure to talk to and see you, Howard. You take care. He is Dennis Krause in Milwaukee. Uh, covers the uh, Green Bay Packer franchise. Uh, was involved with the Milwaukee Bucks as well. Uh, the one thing I'll say about Packer fans, Bucks fans, uh, there's fans in the state of Wisconsin. They really are. They're really enthusiastic. They know what they're they're what they're rooting for, uh, and it, it was a pleasure working out there uh, for the Bucks franchise and that organization. I have never been around in an organization where uh, they had they ran an entire pro organization with about I don't know. 40, 50 people working in the front office. That's it. You go to the average front office in any other sport around the country, you're going to see hundreds. Not there. Those people just worked their tail off to produce a product. Good for them. That's been a bite of the Big Apple. I'm Howard David, and you stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.